So basically, like, courage is practiced. It's not I'm courageous or I'm not. To kind of go back to my example of writing a book, like, creativity is also practiced. It's not you're creative or you're not. We are made by a creator. We are creative inherently, you know? But many times I think that we think, oh, those courageous people, I don't know how they can do that. It's so scary. I would never, you know? And it's actually not those big moments that led you to that. It's those little moments along the way when you didn't know you could speak up, when your emotions maybe were like, you know, flushing over you and you didn't speak up that one time. And all those times that finally lead you to being able to finally do it, you know, as you keep moving forward and expecting yourself to get there. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. And today, we will be discussing a variety of topics, including imposter syndrome, how to cope with failure, and how to deal with the pressure of expectations with Dr. Alma. Dr. Alma Zaragoza-Petty was born in Los Angeles, but was raised in Acapulco, Mexico, really for most of her childhood. She's the daughter of immigrant parents and a first-generation high school and college graduate. She also completed a master's in counseling and a doctoral degree in education. She is led by her desire to inspire others in her community to move past their own fears, their barriers, and to achieve their own life goals. She's the co-founder of Prickly Pear Collective, a faith-based, trauma-informed collective at the intersections of community, church, and therapy, bringing people together to move toward healing. And she's the co-host of the Red Couch podcast with her husband that most people know as the rapper Propaganda. So let's get this conversation going with Dr. Alma. This is God Hears Her. Both of my parents are from Mexico, from southwestern Mexico. My mother is from Guerrero, the state of Guerrero, and my father, my biological father was from Michoacan. Mm-hmm. And my stepdad, who's raised me since I was 11, um, he okay. is from Mexico City, from the district. Yeah. So yeah, I just have, you know, um, Mexico heritage, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's gorgeous. which is itself like a mixture of obviously indigenous and um, Spanish yeah. from Spain, which is European, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what I like to say. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have. So I'm the eldest. Oh. And I definitely act like the eldest. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that. I love bossing people around. Just put it out there. Yeah. yeah. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, I'm three years older than my sister and four years older than my brother. Yeah, my sisters, they're they're six and eight years older than me. And I'm curious because I know just because my sister is eight years older than me, she had a lot of pressure on herself Mm. growing up to have certain accomplishments. And I'm curious you know just based on just your your history and and traveling and and living in different places and then being the oldest like was there pressure on you at all to Mm. look a certain way or be a role model yeah yeah because my parents were immigrants to this country um and they left because they wanted their kids to have a better chance at an education and in life to be able to move from you know working class poor background there was a really big emphasis 
to do well in school from a very mm. early age. Uh, we were rewarded when we did do well. We were chastised when we didn't. It was just very clear early on that you must do well in school. And so that was definitely a pressure that you know, I took on as the oldest. And thankfully, I actually really loved reading as a child. And I used to like get engrossed in books for like days and like, which is obviously a great benefit when you're in school, because you need to be able to read and understand and totally. write. Mm -hmm. And that's those yeah. are the kinds of things that you get graded on. So I did well. But I think it definitely put a lot of pressure on my siblings to, you know, to to do a lot. And sometimes it's, you know, lots Decades of college is not what people want. So I get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <Sure>, yes. <laughs> so. But there's a doctor in front of your name. So tell right. us a little bit about how that came about. So you clearly loved books growing up and school. So. Yeah. yeah. So when I first moved here, I was actually, you know, a little bit ahead of my peers in math. And so I, what I really had to learn was a language and get acclimated with that. And so... I did, and it actually felt kind of seamless. In about a year or two, I was kind of wow. in track with everyone. Um, at that time, California had this program of dual like um, language in schools. Mm -hmm. And that time, it really served well because I, that's how I learned the language right away. I was everyone, you know, like I had a special teacher basically in each class teaching me. And so it really became kind of my thing. I really enjoyed it. You know, I tied it a lot to my identity through also, which, you know, there's like some some not so awesome parts about that because when then when you start to like not do well, right, it can, it can be very like, what do you do with your life now? You know, like if <laughs> you've done so much of it and that's been your sort of identity, like what do you do? So I definitely had a moment like that. But hmm. yeah, when I started out, I was really encouraged by just different mentors to just keep sort of going. My parents were just glad that I finished high school in Mexico mm -hmm. at that time. You know, education is private, so you had to pay for it if you wanted it. And so they weren't able to afford much of an education. And they were so happy that I was able to get um, a high school diploma. And then when I went off to college, there was they were like, they were, you know, they were happy for me, but I, it was also beyond their understanding of like, why? Why are you continuing to do more schooling? Just go get a job. Like, stop mm. <laughs> doing all that. <laughs> it, like to them, because of their sort of like worker, like, you know, like working class background, they just felt like I was trying to bypass working hard. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, like no. just stay in school longer. Yeah, I was like, no, work. This is really hard too. It's just different hard, you know. And so <laughs> that's so fascinating. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So nobody, nobody in your family really had had gone on like no. that, right? Yeah. With no, education. I was the first high school college graduate. You're trailblazer. Kinda, yeah. yeah in my wow. family, it's been, it's definitely did like a number on me, which I'm sure we'll get into, and just in terms of. Just, you know, it, it takes a toll on you. It's a lot of work, uh, a lot of years of it, trying to balance a family, you know, marriage in the middle of all that, kids also. So yeah, after um, taking a few years after my bachelor's to, to work, I went and got a master's in counseling and then took another few years to continue working in the education field and then decided to get a PhD in educational uh, policy. And so I really look at education from like a sociological and pol like political perspective. Um, hmm. So not so much in the classroom, but as a system and um, sort of the inequities and the ways that we could have a better sort of 
system. So do you work in that field now? I do. Yeah. So I work for a nonprofit and I work as a mentor and advisor to current college goers across the nation. Um, Most of them are in California. They're all first generation, low income backgrounds as well. So it's a nonprofit that, you know, is basically interested in helping the specific population to really like just envision themselves going to college, getting a degree Mm -hmm. and getting like their professional, like, you know, careers going. Powerful. Yeah. Was there a moment when you, when you decided to pivot in your pursuit because you were pursuing counseling and then when you pivoted, Mm -hmm. what was that thought? Was there a moment, an experience? Yeah. I think what it was, was reflecting back on my own life, realizing the role of mentors and that's why I had gone into counseling because I was I remember how pivotal like certain teachers and counselors were in my own trajectory and just basically Mm -hmm. letting me know that this was an option for me and encouraging me and you know wanting me to see myself in that kind of a place and so I thought wow that would be awesome if I could do that for you know the next generation of folks that are in the same positions and you know moving up or or trying to get into college and that sort of thing and then I realized like Wow, there as I went through my master's program, I realized that it's the higher I go in my own journey, the less of me there are, meaning there's less mm-hmm. Latinas, there's less people that are low income, first gen background as well. Yeah. And yeah. no wonder things don't change because if it's all these people that are not from these backgrounds that are doing the policies and teaching and all this, then how do we ever change anything? You know, it just kind of felt like, ah, yeah. oh, we must change mm-hmm. this, you know, the whole system. And so that's kind of what really propelled me into like wanting to get a doctorate and in just wanting to impact at a wider scale. Cause I was like, this mm-hmm. is a really big problem. We can't fix it with one yeah. person, you know, like, and, and that's how it felt to me. It felt very limiting as a person, which of course now I've been able to think back and be like, well, no, because all those people that guided me along the way were still so pivotal, you know? Yeah. So there's just different ways to impact change. And at that time, that's how I felt like I could do more. And so that's what led me to my my doctoral studies and wanting to be there. But yeah, even there, I think I was one of, um, I was the only Latina in my cohort. And there was, I believe, like two other Latinas wow. in the in the school of education at that time, which was, you know, it was it just continued sort of the my my what I had tapped into, which was this idea that like, oh, yeah, there's the higher that we go, the less power we can yield around things that affect us the most. And that's there's something going on there and I want to be able to intercede Mm -hmm. at that pivotal point. It takes a a unique um, insight, Alma. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard you and your husband in your own podcast, the Red Couch podcast, talking about how even counseling, even receiving counseling is a privilege. And when you're describing Mm -hmm. having to pay, private pay for basic education in Mexico, that's very um, illuminating to us all. Mm -hmm. I think women uniquely as well um, as some of our other races and minorities, you know, have really faced being the only ones mm-hmm. in, in different settings. Yeah. Um, maybe you could speak to that. I, I just know I was one of six women in seminary 40 years ago. It was a long time wow. ago. But, you know, yeah. there are a lot of women there now. But yeah. you, you feel, you know, both your culture and through our gender sometimes when we're going through mm-hmm. these doors, we can feel incredibly alone. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the insight you had and the discernment you had to recognize the power you could harness there mm-hmm. instead of pulling out of it and right. disqualifying yourself because you didn't look like everybody else. Can you talk yeah. about that some? Yeah. Mm. Well, 
I definitely want to say that I think as I've stepped in some of these spaces, it has always been with like so much like fear and trembling, you know, like it's never been like, I'm going to be great at this and I'm amazing. You know, <laughs> it's, always been like, yeah, yeah. it's always been like, oh, shoot, like, um, yeah. do I really need to do this? God, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe someone else. <laughs> That's honest. Thank you for yeah. saying that. Because a lot of times we think it's mm. easy for the heroes and it isn't. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I actually have had to yeah. translate this for my teenager, too, because you know, she sees, and one my therapist actually helped me to see this too. Like, imagine being your teenager. Like, imagine yourself. Like, you imagine being basically like who your kids are and what they're seeing, mm. who their parents are, and the pressure and the like finished product that they're seeing. Mm. You know, yes. in who yes. they've become, and imagine now like you're that teenager that's still trying to find herself. And trying to mm-hmm. figure out their place in the world, you know, and I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it doesn't take me long to get there. Because even now, I, right, like as professional and as like accomplished that we've become, there's always like this idea of like, of, like am I really this worthy? Am I really cut out for this? Is this really true? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there's always that kind yeah. of belief that I think being the only one or feeling like, you know, being the minority in a place can often make you question yourself and have those kinds of thoughts about oneself and so yeah I, I I think about this a lot and how even now I, I try to invite my kids and my teenagers specifically because she can actually understand this that like you know I'm in the process of writing a book and I'm like this is scary uncharted territory for me like I've never written a book you know I'm not I don't come from a, a long line of like writing books like you know like there's like families that whose moms and parents or grandparents were writers I'm like I have no idea like yeah there's this is scary and new and it's okay we can you know like this is the journey where I'm at now and how I'm challenging myself and showing up with courage and you know and as a teenager it's it's a different plight then but it's still I feel find so many similarities right like of Mm -hmm. we're constantly in this kind of state of evolving or just you know growing changing I completely, just sidebar, I completely resonate with that because I just recently published a book and it was the most loneliest experience I have ever, I mean, being isolated in your own thoughts and then you're (laughs) questioning them as you're typing them out and you're just like, none of this is good. Who is going to read this? And you're like, you're like Googling and you're looking up dictionaries and you're reading other books and you're like... Their, their sentence and their perspective is way sharper than mine. Oh, I'm yeah, not yes. that sharp anymore. Like, you really, <laughs> yes. and you don't have to write a book to feel this way, but I love what you're saying. It's, it's when you're in an uncharted area where there's not many people around you that are in the same space, maybe there's this feeling unqualified, feeling, mm-hmm. feeling like imposter syndrome, yeah. maybe almost mm-hmm. of like, but wait, this is, you know, maybe this is how I was treated growing up, or maybe yeah. this is what somebody said over me, or these were my obstacles, or... And that imposter syndrome, Erin, is so good, because that is, I think, what you're describing, Alma. It's um, mm-hmm. it's this feeling of, I'm pretending, and somebody's going to find out I don't know what I'm doing in 10 <laughs> seconds, and I'm yeah, going to, yeah, you know, yeah. there's going to, the floor is going to open up with a hole, and I'm going to go down in it, and that, you know, or, or there's going to be a hook that takes me off, you know, I'm faking this, and somebody's going to find out. And it's actually a thing, a thing it that's is. been studied, and especially women, yeah. we go through it, so Thank you for talking about it. And yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. It's 
I feel like I'm faking it. But you're saying, mm-hmm. Alma, that what we're doing is doing it. We're trying it. Yeah. We're giving it a whirl. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes depending on like, like your family structure or maybe like your immediate, you know, kind of community, it can also feel it could be it could be worse. It could be like feeling like ridiculous or like, how dare you? Right. There's that like mm-hmm. indignant, like, no, you're not creative. You know, like there's this this yeah. judgment, too, that can come from Ooh. folks on what's allowed and not allowed by who and when and why, you know, and it, and at the end of the day, like you have to really just kind of sift through that as like, no, that is not how I want to live mm. my life with that fear yeah. of like, you know, falling like flat on my face. If I fall flat mm-hmm. on my face, let it be a learning lesson to myself and others, yeah. not a recoiling that needs to happen of myself mm-hmm. for the rest of my life because I failed that one time, right? And right. and sometimes that's, you know, failure when we haven't also processed what how it can be helpful can also yeah. feel like a door shut that must never be opened again. Mm-hmm. You know? So you're really talking about this feeling of, of uh, embarrassment that somebody's going to find out that right. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you're adding a layer of potentially judgment mm-hmm. that that what you're trying to do is not within the boundaries of what a normal female in your culture and your age should be doing, by the way, you know, so you get that right. put on top of you. And then you mm-hmm. might actually, indeed, like we all do, make a mistake, <laughs> which, right. yeah. which can also, this is so helpful. All of those can become barriers mm-hmm. to our really stepping mm-hmm. into what God has for us. Yeah, definitely. And when we come back, Alma helps us grow in courage and shares a specific moment in her past that she can look back on now and see that God was with her, preparing her, even before she became a Christian. This is God Hears Her. Be an even bigger part of the God Hears Her community by signing up for our weekly newsletter. Visit GodHearsHer.org today. That's GodHearsHer.org. And now, back to our show. Now, I don't have kids, mm-hmm. but I've watched my sister. She has a very unconventional family, and it's beautiful. And And I've seen her just press through when people want to judge on how she's raising her kids. And, and some people are like, you're, you're crazy. And other people are like, go you, stepping out of the box. <laughs> and so she's got like these like two different, you know, two different perspectives Always, coming at yeah. her. And then like owning her own identity and stepping into it. How do you do that? How mm. have you done that? Yeah, well, I have to say that I have to credit Maya Angelou with this kind of quote mm. because – she she was being interviewed by Oprah on her podcast, and she was asked, so Maya Angelou is Oprah's mentor. And I was, first of all, I was like, can I be wow. Oprah, yes. please? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I love her. And so she gave an example of herself throwing a party at her home and inviting different people from different walks of life and different uh, backgrounds and, you know, religions and just, you know, she just wanted to have a place to invite all of her people. And someone mentioned uh, feeling very uncomfortable that someone was present and that they felt that they shouldn't have been invited or not been there. And her response 
and then which what what the whole topic of the conversation was like you know basically how did you become courageous like how did you because oprah was like amazed that that maya angelo rather than than trying to people please or or making things be okay like she and and not be the bad guy she asked that person to leave so she asked the person that was uncomfortable with this other person to leave instead of the actual person that was making them uncomfortable right and Oprah was like, how did you do that? I would have felt so scared to speak up and to like say something and to, you know, like, and she said it in a way that was like both loving, but firm and, mm-hmm. you know, from her own place of conviction, right? Yeah. And she said, well, you saw a moment in time, but I've been practicing for that moment my whole life, <gasps> you know? So basically like mm. courage is practiced. It's not I'm Ooh. courageous or I'm not. Mm. You know, it's and just like creativity, actually, as, as I'm, you know, to kind of go back to my example of writing a book, like creativity is also practice is not you're creative or you're not. We mm-hmm. are made by a creator. We are creative inherently, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. yeah. but many times I think that we think, oh, those courageous people, I don't know how they can do that. It's so scary. I would never, you know. And it's actually not those big moments that led you to that. It's those little moments along the way when you didn't know you could speak up, when your emotions maybe were like, you know, flushing over you and you didn't speak up that one time. And all those times that finally lead you to being able to finally do it, you know, as you keep moving forward and expecting yourself to get there. So it's a lot of work. Yeah, and a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. and, and I wonder yeah. if I, I might give us an example and, and see if you think this is what you're talking about, because I want to flesh this out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've had to practice it in specific relationships where I've basically been wounded, you know, like okay. majorly okay. You know, <laughs> wounded. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen the person again, and there's this great big rift, and there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I have gone before God, and I've gone, what do you want me to do? And I have done, written the note or whatever, and nothing's mm-hmm. happened. And what I felt like God was asking me to do was practice in my head. And that's what this quote is reminding me of. Mm. Practice in my head. What are you going to do if you do ever run into that person? And I would practice over and over and over and over and over and over. And whenever I would start worrying about it, I would instead picture myself mm-hmm. opening my arms and extending myself in, a, in an embrace, not huge, just a nice one. And a, how are you? Good to see you. I practice that. Mm-hmm. And that's a real concrete example. You know, sometimes we don't get to repeat back into specific relationships. They're over and they're done. We have to let them go. But right. does that flesh out what you're talking about, Alma, here, in terms yeah. of practicing courage and the hard things? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that especially in the realm of like relationships, you know, th- those are definitely places where we can practice just like you said, and also be able to like forgive ourselves for if we don't show up the way that we wanted to that mm. one time, and then know that later you have an opportunity to practice that That's again. Good. That's something that I feel like it's definitely practiced. And also there's always room for forgiving ourselves and but still doing better, still being accountable mm-hmm. to ourselves and saying, mm-hmm. let me live up to that expectation that I mm-hmm. that God holds for me and that I hold for myself and like honoring yes. others, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's it's having the courage to not conform for somebody else to feel better. Mm. Like leaning into that discomfort mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. standing yeah. by it 
and mm-hmm. giving yourself compassion along the way and mm-hmm. giving compassion to other people along the way that they're also learning. Right. I'm just so struck by, Alma, how you're pointing out how many people shape us mm-hmm. if we let them. If we listen to what's happening, you know, you've talked about your daughters, you've talked about your parents, you've talked about Mm -hmm. mentors, you've talked Mm -hmm. about the judges, you've talked about (laughs) those who were not like you in certain circles. And what I'm really struck by is how receptive you have been, how open you have been. I'm not saying it's Mm -hmm. easy, Mm -hmm. but to take in and to learn about yourself and to lovingly accept what you're being informed of. I'm thinking maybe God shaped that in you somehow. Can can you speak to that, how that was, how you got to be that way? Honestly, I wonder too, how many times I didn't listen though, because for a long time, I also was like, all right, God, where are you at? I can't hear you via Mm -hmm. people or directly what's going on, you know? And I think I was also like not listening Mm -hmm. because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't attuned to that, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, la, 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 can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. But, you know, in terms of my temperament, I'm very non-judgmental. Like, even as a girl, I remember I was very confused by the judgment of, of adults. Like, I remember when adults had things to say about me, I was utterly confused. I was like, wow, why do you have that such a negative opinion? You know, or why don't you see, like, the splendor of, like how the world is and like the creativity, you know, like I I definitely have an attunement to that via nature. I think God in in just being raised in like a very tropical place Mm -hmm. in in Mexico where I was barefoot often and taking showers outside, you know, I just kind of have like an attunement to that. It's a wonder. You have like a childlike wonder. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I do have a childlike wonder about a lot of stuff where I'm just like, Mm -hmm. everything is always so dramatic and impressive to me. And I'm just like, calm down. Not everything is a telenovela, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I want it to be. I totally understand that. So, well, I have a question in regards to that because you said, you know, it wasn't that sometimes you couldn't hear God, but maybe that you didn't want to listen. And I went through a really hard season of life. Um, I've shared previously, I went through a divorce and um, there was just a lot of stuff that came catapulting forward. It was like all my baggage just came flying Mm -hmm. forward that I had to, you know, deal with and process and understand more of. But uh, when I look back, I can actually see moments of when I could hear from God. But at that time, I was just like, where are you? I can't hear you. I don't see you. I don't know you. I feel like I don't know you. And mm. I just, I, I felt so far away from him. But it was really, he was always right there. That was a, a traumatic circumstance that I went through that allowed me to start to be able to process and come to him with my honest thoughts and, you know, start that journey of being able to to hear him and and walk with him in a way that I've never walked before. I'm curious for you, like, was there a moment that you were like, ah, oh. was there a moment or was it a collection of moments? Yeah. What was it for you to position your ears to um, acknowledging that God hears you and you can hear him? Yeah, I think a lot of it came from, honestly, my own sort of inner healing. Um, I think I'm not sure if I shared my bio with you all, but I've I've come from a pretty um, just rough childhood. There was like a lot of just growing up in poverty with, you know, just working class background, poor background. And then also, 
you know, just generational trauma of just um, that comes with that, right? Like, it's just, it's not like these things are isolated. It, they're all kind of coexist and there's just a lot of stress. And um, because of that, the, there's just a lot of ways that people react to their environment and to others. And so mm. through my own um, just work and healing is how there was one activity in particular, which I feel like anyone can do is we had to like look back at our uh, whatever part of your life you want to look back at and really start to, especially if it's like a painful part, um, you know, of your life and start to, yes, talk, you know, like bring up all the stuff that's really hard and that, that was really like just difficult about that. But also try to see if you can find how God did speak to you through that time. Mm. So mm. it was initially really hard because you have to face sort of like your demons and your like the scariness and the hurt and the trauma sometimes when you have to visit those kinds of like maybe like different stages of your life. Mm -hmm. But I have found through, you know, just all of my therapy and just my own healing that the more you face it, the less scary it becomes and the less power it has over you. And the more you can see like those, the light that was there too. Basically, you know, mm. so like the days that like, oh, yeah, that was really. Uh, so, for instance, like I have an example of which I love giving the story because I'm still kind of like that was so crazy. Um, when I was a teenager, I mean, first of all, teenage angst and just, you know, all that comes with teenagerhood is like, already hard. Yeah. <laughs> already still hard. There, right? She's raising her hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I'm there with you. <laughs> and so so on top of that, like, you know, we have all these like factors that are just created a very stressful home and I'm just like I just have this vivid memory of myself like being in my room and feeling kind of like lonely or like just alone and I remember even thinking that at that time as I'm looking at my wall and in my wall my mom my mom she used to collect do you guys know who Precious Moments are? Like the cartoon? Sure. Okay. Sure. So back yeah. in the 90s, these back things were... Back in the days. Yeah. <laughs> these yeah. things were so... The hot item that all the moms had. Oh my had. gosh. Yes. <laughs> you go to like the Hallmark store to get them? Yes, yeah. Even, Mex yeah. even Mexican moms that were brown bought these little like white cherub looking <laughs> oh, kids yes. and the posters of them. And so we had so like great. two little um, plaques of these, you know, like Precious Moments and they have scripture written on them. So they mm -hmm. there's like, he leads me to green pastures. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking when I did this exercise the first time, I was just like, oh my gosh, I was reading scripture in that time. I wasn't even a believer at that time. Mm -hmm. I never thought about how that was like God giving me a promise, you know, like of just mm -hmm. leading me to still waters and reading mm -hmm. the whole verse. Now I'm just like, oh my gosh, like. God was speaking, but it was through this weird cherub looking like poster <laughs> thing in my room that my mom put up for whatever reason, you know. <laughs> Makes me so, feel better so that some of those though. cheesy things I did for my kids maybe got through. But anyway, yeah. Oh, know, geez. Right? that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you're saying look back at a specific situation that maybe was painful and look for God in it mm -hmm. and bring it out. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, this whole this whole conversation is courage. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like uh, the courage to not conform mm -hmm. and the courage to have conversations and the courage to face health, healthy ways of conflict and the courage mm -hmm. to give yourself compassion and the courage to uh, look back and, and see God in your circumstances then and what you are experiencing now. I just think that is 
that has just been interwoven in this conversation this entire time, and I just love that so much. Conversations on courage are always so good for my soul. I'm so grateful for our time with Dr. Alma. This is God Hears Her. And before we close out today's episode, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but you'll also find a link to connect with Aaron and me on social. So check out the show notes on our website, godhearsher.org. The show notes also contain a link to sign up for the God Hears Her newsletter featuring helpful articles and stories from women just like you who are discovering what it means to be seen and heard by God. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Daniel Ryan Day and Mary Jo Clark. And today, we also want to recognize Barry and Kathy for their help in creating and promoting this episode of the God Hears Her podcast. Thanks, friends. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.